Well, we are super excited this morning. We've got something very special for you. My relationship with Dante uh, just started in March. We met through some mutual friends at the Summit Church, and we're looking for some good opportunities, some good partners for our student ministry during our big break trip there in, uh, in late March. Over spring break, we wanted to challenge our kids, hey, instead of sitting on a beach somewhere, or sitting on a pool or sleeping in, let's step up, let's serve, let's partner together, let's minister to people, let's learn from people. So we spent several days staying overnight at a church in Durham, partnered with Dante, several other organizations there, and that was our connectivity, and our students just fell in love with him as he came and spoke to us one night. And as I mentioned, we're going to be partnering with you guys over Serve Your City Week. And it's cool because we have a little bit of affinity with our churches. Yeah. Your church is portable as well. Yes. Right? So, yes. and you meet in a, a charter school. Absolutely. So the whole idea of, man, some of you guys know because you were here sweating it with us this morning, trying to get everything up, start to finish completely from scratch. You guys know that, that deal all too well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And this, these guys have a church plant as well, that just started a couple years ago, very similar to Northwest starting, uh, starting about seven years ago. So Dante, welcome. We got a tough topic this morning, as you know, and if you're visiting with us, maybe you don't know this. Each week this summer, we've been tackling very difficult issues that have come, questions that have come from you guys. We took an opportunity where they could text in or email in or write in questions. And today we're gonna be talking about some of the concepts concerning racial reconciliation. And some of the ideas about, man, how can suburban churches and urban churches learn from each other? How can we work together? How can we, you know, do things together for the kingdom? Yeah. So we welcome you here, man. Thanks for coming and joining our, joining our church this morning. And I just got to tell you guys before I turn things over, you're missing out a little bit. Because next service, some of the congregation from your church is going to be here joining us yes. as well. So if you want to hang around and dilly-dally a little bit in the lobby, you'll get a chance to meet some of those folks. Looking forward to that. They're coming to the second service. So. Amen. Amen. Preach the word, my friend. Welcome. God bless you. Let us give Jerry a, a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So my name is, is Dante Randolph. I'm the lead pastor of, of Grace Park Church. We're a new church plant, which is located over in East Durham. I'm grateful to have my wife here with me today, as well as my two children, Joshua and Kaylin. And it is def definitely an honor and a privilege to be here on today, even though they have given me such a rough topic. So I will assume that many of you brought fruit, hopefully fruit, and not any bricks or anything like that. So if you throw something at me, hopefully it's like some tomatoes or something. But in all that we do, let us do it as unto the Lord. Let's remember that. Amen. So we are going to, to look at racial reconciliation and exactly what does that mean, and particularly what does that mean to us as individual believers, and also what does that mean for us corporately as a church, the suburban church as well as the urban church, and how can we make that a reality? I believe that this topic is very relevant when you take a look at what has taken place around our country and in our nation on today, and oftentimes, more often than not, we don't want to talk about these things. Sometimes we might even find ourselves praying, please just let this go away so that we can move forward 
and just be happy and, and have this false sense of peace yet once again. But I don't believe that our God is, is a God who makes mistakes. I do believe that his timing is perfect timing for such a time as this. And so we're grateful today to be able to gather together as a body of believers to talk about this from a gospel-centered Christ-centered perspective. So I don't plan on giving you a bunch of examples and illustrations that pertain to my own opinion. I do purpose to share with you what the Word of God says and that we might be convicted by the Word of God and not by guilt or anything of that nature, but by the Word of God that we might move forward to be the people of God that He has called for us to be. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we bless your holy and your righteous name. You're altogether good. You're kind. You've been gracious towards us. Your grace and your mercy is sufficient for us even on today. God, I pray that you would just speak a word, speak a word of life into every soul under the sound of my voice. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would allow me to decrease and that indeed on this day, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, that you would increase. May every soul under the sound of my voice be impacted by your word and not be impressed by me. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So my name is Dante. I, I, you know, a lot of times I like to, to share a little bit about me so that you can either be angry or excited about me. I, I never thought that I would be a pastor of a church. Absolutely, I, I, I didn't. My lifestyle was not indicative of one who was en route to becoming a pastor. In fact, my lifestyle was that of a drug dealer once upon a time. I was, you know, I lived a good life once upon a time, even though I lived it in poverty. I was the SGA president of a school that, that looked much like this. It was approximately 70% white, 30% black. The whites had privilege. The blacks were pretty much poor. When I ran for SGA president, I won by a landslide. So I had relationships across cultural and ethnic lines. I was a football player and as a result received a football scholarship, but threw it all away because my life did not line up with the life that God had intended for me. And as a result, lost that football scholarship at East Carolina University and went on and got another football scholarship. Whereas many people are striving just to get one, I had the opportunity to get two. As a result, I changed my location, did not change my heart nor my mindset, and went actually deeper into the game of drugs. And, and as a result, ended up receiving a four-to-life sentence, a four-to-life sentence. That's when you have a minimum of four years, and on the piece of paper that they give to you, your end date says 9999. Nine, 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 nine. I said, oh my God, what in the world? But even with that, I still had not changed my mind. I said, you know, once I get out, I'm just going to be better. I'm not saying better at doing good things better. I was going to come out and do what I was doing in a better way and just not get caught again. So I went through my, my, my time away and met a lot of great people. I think that I did a lot of good things even while I was away encountering people that I never would have accounted up in the state of New York, even as far as way as I New York. And in God's time, and I was about six months away from coming home, and I was watching a VHS tape. That's, the, just the, that's kind of just to show you how long ago that was. 
I was watching a VHS tape in the chapel of, of the prison that I was in. I was actually, I had been shipped to Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and I was en route to coming home, and, and I, I went in, into the chapel, and I was watching a, a VHS tape, and, and the uh, preacher began to preach about the man by the pool of Bethesda. And as a result thereof, he said, will you be made whole? And it was through the word, it was through the word that, that my heartstrings were, were tugged on. And at that moment, when I began to answer those questions as if he was speaking directly to me is when my life was changed and transformed, and that's when I received Christ into my life. That's after having been raised in the church. That's after having played keys in the church and, and done all the religious things that religious people do and running away from the church when I, when I could. So with that being said, you know, I never thought that I would be a pastor. I never thought that I would be a pastor. Never thought that I would be, be a pastor. But God called me to be a pastor, and, and, and I kicked against the goads, as, as I would like to say, and, and I, nothing that I did worked. He still continued to pull on me, and, and as a result, I'm, I'm here today. I have a heart for inner city ministry. The reason why I told you my story is not because you can say, oh, he has such a nice story, but so that we might see the glory of God and how he's able to change even the worst of us. That's why I have such a heart for inner city urban ministries, because there are other children, other kids, other young men in the inner city that are just like me, that have great potential, but no one's sharing the gospel with them. We might be sharing good programs with them, but no one's sharing the gospel with them to free them from the sin and the bondage that has them captive. And so I have a great urgency for urban ministries, and God has, as a result, called us into Durham, specifically East Durham, and, and we're currently meeting at Marine Joy Charter School, as, as Jerry shared with you just briefly. We started off as an all-black congregation, and after several partnerships, and, and I believe God's spirit, we are now a multicultural, multiracial congregation serving in inner city Durham. And no sooner than we become a multiracial, multicultural congregation, the scabs of the nation begin to be pulled back. And so when we were just trying to be able to come in and set up correctly and, 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 and just you know, be that church plant that we oftentimes read about in books, now we're having to deal with, with situations and issues that we had no idea that we would have to deal with, at least not this early. So racial reconciliation, reconciliation, racial reconciliation is an awesome topic for us to be able to come together and, and to talk about so that we might fulfill the purposes that God has for us so that we can be the ministers that God has called for us to be in the context in which he has called us to be it in. I don't think that there's anything greater than seeing a church that has different racial, uh, multi-ethnic makeup serving God outside the walls. I'm not just talking about worshiping behind closed doors, but I'm saying being able to see blacks and whites and reds and yellows and whatever other color we want to try to tag on to a nationality or ethnic group, to be able to see those types of people striving to work together and, and, and blessing other people, I don't think there's anything greater 
than that. And I, I pray that on today, as we strive to answer at least two questions on today as it regards to racial reconciliation, that indeed we ourselves might find us in that, that good place. Those two questions that we want to answer on today are, why should racial reconciliation matter to believers in this, in this country? And how can the church work together to make racial reconciliation a reality in the world that we live in today? Now, let me, let me pause just for a brief second because I have a very short amount of time and I'm not accustomed to that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not accustomed to that. Listen, let, let's, let's be, I'm going to be real with you on today. I love it when you talk back, give me feedback. I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to talk to your neighbor, and I'm not just going to do that out of this happenstance or routine, but I do want you to be engaged, and for some, it's just to keep you awake. Amen? <laughs> Amen. But today, we want to answer these questions. We want answers so that we can glorify God and impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I believe Northwest says it, we want to see lives changed by Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let us start by understanding that cross-cultural and multi-ethnic relationships are rooted in the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come up with all sorts of programs and all that, but let me start with that statement. Cross-cultural and multi-ethnic relationships are rooted in the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. All those other things might be good, but it's the blood and it's the cross of Jesus Christ that all of that is rooted in. Therefore, being reconciled across racial lines and barriers, that's the distinction of Christ-centered Christianity that the church should strive to maintain. Racial reconciliation, let me say, is not the gospel, but it is, it is an implication of the gospel in function and, and practice. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, when I talk about reconciliation, let's define what that is. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where there once had been hostility and alienation. Reconciliation includes the removal of the offense that caused the disruption of peace and, and, and harmony. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For while we were yet still sinners, God reconciled us by the death of his son. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in chapter 5 verse 19 that it is in Christ God was reconciling the world back to himself. We see that reconciliation is that which takes place between, first and foremost, men and God. And we have to understand that in that definition, what is most important is the removal of the offense. In context, let's understand, because I'm going to jump into Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, just kind of get those ready. This is what Paul began to address when he goes into Mars Hill, and he, he's actually, he doesn't go on his own will. He's actually pulled into this place called Mars Hill, the Areopagus. That's what they're called, and, and it's like a, a court place, a place where they would have court sessions, a place where they would talk about all matters of things, and, and, and so... 
I, I believe that when he saw what he saw, and this is after having been kicked out of Berea and sent across sea, and he had an escort, and so while he's waiting there in Athens, because he's now in Athens, and while he's waiting there in Athens, he looks around and he sees all of this idolatry, and he starts to speak to the Jews, and while he's speaking and he's preaching Christ to the Jews, some of the philosophers in Athens, they come and they, they pull him into this court system because they want to hear about this Jesus and this resurrection that he's talking about. And I love Paul because he's able to contextualize. He's able to meet people right where they are. He's not trying to preach the same sermon that Peter and John preached in, in the earlier parts of Acts, but he's realizing and he recognizes where he is and the issues of the people, and he meets them where they are. Are. And as a result, let's jump into to Acts chapter 17. We see Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. They're religious folks. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth. I'm going to stop right there because what we have to understand is that Paul is addressing a bunch of arrogant individuals, a bunch of people who are very self-centered. These are people that actually believe that their origin started from themselves, as if they had no kinfolk, no place else. But if you were an Athenian, a true Athenian, then you were born right here. We created ourselves. And so this is the people that he's talking to, a very arrogant people, a very prideful people in who they, they are. And it's nothing wrong with having a love for who you are. Let me state that now. If you're white, be blessed and excited about the fact that you are white. If you are black, champion the fact that you are black. I'm not here today to tell white people to start acting black, and I'm not here to tell black people to start acting white. I'm not here to tell people who are Asian to start acting like they're Latinos and, and vice versa. But what I am saying today is that all of us should start acting like we are disciples of Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is what Daryl Bach talks about as he describes the Athenians, those that live in Athens, in the Baker exegetical commentary. He calls them people that have this intellectual arrogance about themselves, and, and they prided themselves on being superior to other people. I wanna ask you this question and you don't have to answer it out loud, but do you know anybody, might be you, that prides themselves on being superior to someone one else? Well, by the time we get to, to Acts 17 and, and this verse in verse 26, you see that Paul says that 
He made from one blood, he's talking about God, he made from one blood every nation of men, depending on what translation you have. It might say he has made from one ancestor. It might say he has made from one man. The point remains the same. Every ethnic group has the same origin. You say, well, Dante, how can you say such a thing? Well, if you go into the Greek, if you have a a better understanding of what that word nation means, the word nation, when you look it up in the Greek, means ethnos. And, And ethnos is where we get our word ethnicity. And when you understand that paradigm in the language, we are able to read it as saying he has made from one blood, he has made from one man, he has made from one ancestor. Every ethnicity of men to dwell, what? To dwell, to live on the face of the earth. I'm a preacher that will get happy on you. I will, I will. Y'all can laugh or cry or oh Lord, but I will get happy because when I start to read this gospel, I try to be calm and cool and collected, but something just just happens. But what we got to understand, let me get back. What we got to understand is that 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 Greek word is, is, is ethnicity. So we do see that every ethnic group has the same origin. I believe that Paul, when he was sharing this word, he reached back into the Old Testament, which was the only thing that was available at that time, and he reached back and he he was reminded of Genesis 2 verse 7 when it declares that men were formed from the dust of the ground and God blew into the nostrils and gave man the breath of life. And and maybe he went back just a little bit further into Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 uh, when it says that, and, and, and he he made man in the image of himself. He made man. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, male and female, he created them. And I'm here to tell you today that we are all. Somebody say all. All created in the image of God. Being created in the image of God is greater than our cultural norms. It's greater than our personal individual ethnicity. It's greater than our nationalities. It's greater than our personal preferences. It's even greater than our race. Being created in the image of God, that should be our identity. What unites us is greater than anything that makes us different. But not everyone can say amen to that. And it reminds us that all of humanity has the same problem of sin. Because although some of us are saying, I'm so glad that's not me, or I'm so glad that's not where I'm at, we all have the same problem of sin. Yet because of sin, the church, oftentimes the church, you first, you are the church as individuals as well as corporately, we don't always think like this. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many of us today, if we were truly honest, might be able to see ourselves as divisive and thinking ourselves to be superior, much like the Athenians were in that day? That pride is no less than being that of, of a racist. 
racism. It's rooted in pride. A lot of times we want to try to deal with racism. Tim Keller would say it's the sin beneath the sin. Yes, we're dealing with a symptom, which is racism, but the sin beneath it is pride. Pride is what leads people to believe I'm more superior. I'm greater than you or someone else or maybe even an entire people group. Pride. Pride is the issue. Racism is rooted in pride, and pride is one of the three root sins identified in, in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, along with the lust of eyes and the lust of the flesh. Pride is what leads one group of people to believe that they are superior to others. It's blatant racism, blatant pride. And then there's that ignorant racism or ignorant pride. Blatant racism is when you are intentional about believing that your superiority should cause someone else to be more inferior towards you. And that's clear. You know when you're around someone who has that sense of pride, who is a racist. You know it. They don't mind expressing it. They believe that what they're doing is is, is okay and it's it's cool and, and you should be the same way. But then there's this ignorant passive type of pride that has a tendency to seep in. And oftentimes that comes in the form of having been taught or raised in such a way that we really don't know that we're offending someone. We really don't know that it's causing hurt or harm towards someone. We really don't take into consideration how it's infecting or impacting someone. And it's expensive. Ignorant racism is expensive. What do you mean, man? You know, somebody going to sue me? No, I ain't talking about that. That ignorant racism can cost us our eternal life. It can cost us an eternity. I ain't even talking about the temporal things on this side. I'm saying eternity. Racism is like alcoholism. It makes the user feel better about themselves, temporarily forgiving their own struggles and shortcomings, but ultimately it ends up hurting them and others because of their decisions and their actions. Comes in, you don't even realize you're doing it. Have you ever seen an alcoholic who's, who's truly drunk and they don't even realize what they're doing? Let us continue to pray for the young man who was arrested recently for the tragedy that happened on the interstate recently. Alcoholism. Alcohol, it can cause you to to do some things and you don't even realize what you're doing and then when you finally wake up, it can be too late. Racism is the same way. How many people have we hurt because of our sense of pride that I'm better than someone else? Whether it was blatant or ignorantly. I'm hurrying up, Jerry. But the beautiful thing about that, in the midst of that problem of sin, is that God has given us all the same Savior. He has. Jesus Christ made us one in him. Jesus Christ came and died for us. Preach, baby. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but would have 
everlasting life. He came and died for the world. He came and died for all. Wait, wait, whoa. No, maybe we should switch this up. He came and just died for black folk. Is that what the word says? He just came and died for Latinos. He just came and died for whites, Caucasians, Europeans. He just came and died for the Africans. He just came and, what, what does it say? He came and died for the entire world so that we all could have that abundant life, correct? Are y'all with me? That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins. He paid a price that we were destitute to pay, and he reconciled us back to our Father. And we know that is true because on the third day, he arose from the grave. He didn't just die and stay dead, but why I believe Satan and everybody, the, the demons were having a party and saying, yeah, we killed him. He's done away with. He rose on the third day, and the only the third day, what's so significant about that is that it shows us that the payment had been received. It's nothing like getting a receipt of the receipt. That's how I love to say it. It's nothing like knowing that something has been paid for in full, especially when it costs a whole lot of money. I must not have nobody up in here that has the, the, the deed to their houses and it's been paid off after 30 years. When you understand the magnitude and the chasm of that which must be be made. Folks now just starting off in a 30-year mortgage, and it's a huge chasm, and that can be paid by us. But the chasm which stood between man and God was much too great for us to, to pay for. And so he sent his son by his grace while we were his enemies. He didn't wait until we got it together. While we were yet still sinners, while we were enemies with God, he came. And he died for you. And I thank God that he died for me. And as a result, we can say, I'm redeemed. Turn to somebody and tell them, if you are, I'm redeemed. It's okay. It's okay. You can tell them. You can talk. Because here's the kicker, that's the only group that should matter right now. According to Christianity, there should, there should only be, if we want to define it as a race, there should only be two, the redeemed and the unredeemed. Welcome to my family. If anybody asks y'all, man, you got any colored cousins or uh, it, black cousins? Say, yeah, man, this kid named Dante, that's my, that's my blood. That's my blood. We're like, man, you ain't got no black people. I do. I got a whole lot of them. Folks, I ain't even never seen. But you ain't got no Latinos. Yes, I do. I got a whole lot of Latinos. But you know, Hispanics, because I read somewhere that there's a difference between a Latino and Hispanic. Yes, I do. We all do. What matters is redeemed or unredeemed. Peter makes this, makes this clear. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy. In other words, for the sake of time, he, he speaks to us in the singular. The people of God are spoken of as a chosen 
race, unified, eternal nationality whom Jesus Christ, whom his blood has, has brought together. Let us be clear, we are his, his offspring. This is what Paul is saying in, in 17, verse 28. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. goes on to say, and we are his offspring. He's trying to tell these arrogant people, we are all from the same father. Verse 29, he goes on to say, we are his offspring. We are God's offspring. And if God created every ethnicity, if God died for every ethnicity, if God brings every ethnicity into his everlasting kingdom, then we need to get in line with what God is doing. Yes, you are a child of God and therefore brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's be clear. I got a six-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And... I don't know what it is. We, we've raised them right, y'all. But they be at each other's throats. Is it just, is it just me? They, they, they be at each other's throats. I be like, what? Y'all are, y'all, y'all are acting like sworn enemies at times. And I'm just under the impression that children kind of act that way. They don't always appreciate the value of the other. Not yet. They're growing. They're children. I like to put it like this as I thought about it this morning. They, they don't always know how to love. And as we go back even to racism, as we're talking about racial reconciliation, for one form of racism, that blatant, that just deserves a stern rebuke. But for the ignorant racism, it deserves instruction in righteousness. And so even with my own kids as they, like WW3 sometimes, man. And, and, and it's not even my 10-year-old, Josh, so don't get on him when he comes up in here the next service, but it's my six-year-old that would get on top of the couch and jump on him and body, try to body slam him. And I'm like, what? And, and, and this is the thing, because we laugh at that with them, but we do it each other the same way. We do each other the same way. But I'm under the impression, the reason why I shared it is, I'm under the impression is not that we hate each other, but that we might not just know how to love each other the way that we should be loved yet. But God, God, give us more of your spirit so that we can love people, your people and those that are not yet your people the right way. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm about to close, but at the end of Paul's speech, he says, repent. Everyone in here, I pray that we all have a penitent heart, regardless of what color we are, as we seek and strive to engage the gospel and see racial reconciliation, which is, which is an implication of the gospel, realized that indeed it comes to fruition and, and we can see it in our own individual lives, that we repent, that we repent. Now, before I leave, I want to give us three applications, and I'm, I'm like, 
my 35, well, actually Jerry took up some of my time during my <laughs> introduction. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm right at my time limit, so if you would just give me five minutes, five minutes. They said the mic cuts off. Uh, <laughs> so if you're listening to this on a podcast and it turns off, know that the sound man in the back did it, okay? All right, so just real quick, three things. And let me answer the first question, and the three application points will, of course, answer the second, I believe. This is why racial reconciliation should matter to us as believers. It should matter to us as a church, everyone in this room. Why? Because it mattered, and it matters to God. That's why it should matter. Not because of my opinions. It mattered, past tense, and it matters to God. What do you mean? Well, for God so loved the world. Okay, we, we, we talked about that. Well, he had a grave concern for all of humanity. It mattered to him. He was reconciling the world, us, to himself. That's what the scripture says when you jump into Ephesians chapter 2, 14, 15, 16. Read those scriptures. But he is also continuing to do it today. That's why he gives us scriptures like Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. We know it. Go, make disciples. What, of who? Of who? Of who? Not just one people, not just the people you know, but of all nations. Acts 1 what does he say? Go and be my witnesses all ultimately unto the ends of the earth. It matters to him. Okay, and so the second question was, well, how can we as the church, and we kind of said also, you know, the suburban and the urban church, how can we come together as a church to make this a reality in our world today? The first thing is to understand that we are the unified body of Christ. That's the very first thing that we should do. Glorify God through the church as a unified body of Christ. God created each of us in his image, and the gospel is for all nations, tribes, and tongues. Revelation, when we look in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see a glimpse of what the kingdom will, will look like. We see it's from every, every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. We see that. And we should strive today, not just when we're on the other side, but when we are in our today, we should be striving for the kingdom of God to come today and not just in our future because if you are a believer, understand this, eternity does not start when you die. Eternity starts when you believe. And so in all of what we're striving to do, we're striving to see the kingdom of God realized in our today. Be the unified body of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. That's what he goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church in chapter 12, verse 12. We're very numerous in terms of our members. We're very different. We are diverse. Celebrate that. When I was talking to Jerry, I said, I love the fact that I love collard greens. And that should not take away from the fact that some of you might like kale, or some of you might like spinach, or some of you might say, I don't like none of them greens. But what will happen if we all bring it all to the table and understand that there's greatness in diversity. You be you and I be me and they be them and we all come together and love one another. What would it, what would it look like? 
I'll tell you what it looks like, and this is a plug. I hope I get paid for the plug if she ever listens to this. But my wife and I went down to Savannah, Georgia, and we went to this place called Mrs. Wilson's, and we stood in line for about a whole hour to, to, to eat in this, this place. And in front of us was an Italian couple, and then there was a white couple that was from Alabama, and the Italian couple was from New York. Picture this. And then here's this black couple from North Carolina. All we were missing was the Latino couple, and they were supposed to be there, but obviously didn't because when we sat down at the table, there were two chairs available. And when you sit down at this table, they have the food prepared for you. You don't have to order anything. And they have this smorgasbord of of food that is present. And the beautiful thing about it is that you're able to taste the diversity of the food and, and enjoy it. And the beauty about that as well is that sitting at that table, we were able to have very good and awesome conversations, even to the point of the Italian couple inviting me and my family up to New York to be a blessing to them. and and to join them over the dinner table there. That is awesome if you know about the relationships that some of those that are in Brooklyn that are Italian have with black people. It was awesome to see God at work. We should celebrate our diversity. Nobody looked at anyone as being different at that table. We all ate from the same dishes. We sat at the same table. We prayed the same prayer. And it was done in love. Celebrate our uniqueness. Don't be persuaded to be one or the other, but seek to understand. Second thing, live intentionally to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Matthew 22, we all know it, 37 through 39. 39 specifically says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The church has failed miserably at this opportunity to witness to the world by displaying this type of Christ-centered love. Love as yourself. In order to do this, we must have transformed hearts. And we have to be intentional to get to know, to understand others that don't look like us. What do you mean? I'll be loving on folks. Open your hand. Open your hand to people that don't look like you. Jump back into the law just for a second. Go into Deuteronomy 15 and and read verses 17 through 19 when you get a chance. And he says, if we are kinfolk, if you got kinfolk and they have a need, then what you need to do is open your hand. And and this ain't just so that uh, a folk can give stuff, but also, and I don't preach a prosperity gospel, let me state that. But there are implications of prosperity in the gospel. Amen. And one of the things that he says is that I'll continue to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. Well, you say, well, that was way too far. Well, we are heirs to Abraham. And what did he say to Abraham? I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Now, when it becomes wrong is when God blesses you and you think, well, it's just for me to get a bigger boat. Or it's just for me to get a bigger house. Or it's just about me, me, me. And God is saying, I'm giving to you so that you can love on my people because the poor you will have have with you always open open your hand you say well, where do I start I'm not just talking about financially open your hand time your treasure your gifts your talents open your hands 
You know how many people there are in the world that, and I'm not saying I'm the standard, but could benefit from folk like you. How often I was able, I was, I was privileged to go on the other side of the tracks and go into homes where people lived on, in, in country clubs and I could see whether they were living right or living wrong, I could see what family looked like. Everyone does not have that opportunity and we wonder why folks are not getting married or why folks don't have a vision to do this because they've never seen it. And we have the opportunity to show people, to give vision to people so that they will want more. First and foremost, God. We should show them Christ so that they will want more. But while they're living here on this earth, give them vision, open our hands so that they will want more. Because the poor will be amongst us always. And it's not just those that got a million dollars that we're saying give. I'm saying if you got $5, how can we break it down and, and just help somebody else who's less fortunate? I'm almost done. One last point. So we open our hands. We, we can serve in the urban context. We can sponsor, listen to this. We can sponsor mission trips for kids that are in East Durham. Y'all like, well, that ain't, what, 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 that, what that got? Listen, there are kids in East Durham that have never left their community. Unless their school maybe is outside of their community. They've, I took a group of kids up to the mountains and they got sick because they had never been out of Durham. So that's another way that we can serve. We can, we can, we can sponsor kids that otherwise would never leave the confines of their community and, and, and sponsor them for, for mission trips. We can create a pipeline as the church, as the church. Listen to what I'm saying. As the church, this is one of the ways that we could partner. We identify and vet young men and women that will have jobs and, and maybe some or, or many or maybe you know someone who has jobs and we can create this pipeline where we can create jobs for these young men and women. Lastly, before I hit this last point, we can, there's a 6,000 square foot home that some of the youth actually helped to clean up while they served a couple of months ago over in East Durham. A 6,000 square foot Victorian style home. If it was sitting over on Preston Wood, it would be immaculate, awesome, beautiful. It's sitting over on Holloway and it's about to fall down. This is a home that we can use to, to bring young men in and disciple them and mentor them and give them not only a high school diploma but also a vocational trade so that they can go into life and be successful and contribute to the community. What would that look like? God gave that to us as a small church plant. And now we're praying as a small church plant, God, you've given us something that has to have a God vision because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. And so that, that's a way that, that we can partner. And the last thing is let's ask for forgiveness and at the same time have the willingness to forgive. First John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, we know that God is faithful and just to forgive us. Hard hearts won't let us ask for forgiveness. We'll say, I, I, I ain't done nothing. I ain't done nothing. 
Some people still wondering why we get charged with sin that Adam, Adam did. I ain't disobeyed you, God. We, we, we all, we all are guilty. I was sitting at the table with a man who had no reason to ask for forgiveness. In my 41 years of life, it was the first time anyone had ever said, I'm sorry. And when he said it, I said, what? Sorry for what? We having lunch, dude. You ain't done that. <laughs> he said, I'm, he said I'm, I'm sorry. And, and this big 250-pound guy sat at the table and started bawling like a little baby. Because he was, he was saying he was sorry with a sincere heart for things that he had, he, he, he had no, no knowledge of. He wasn't, he wasn't around when certain things happened. But to see what's taking place in, in the fabric of our nation and then to just look around and say, well, I ain't got nothing to do with that. Let's just keep moving forward. He stopped and he said, no, I, 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 I want to ask for forgiveness. So he asked for forgiveness, but reconciliation is a two-way street and it has to be the willingness also to forgive. God is saying Repent. And it starts with bodies like this that are willing to engage this type of conversation. It starts with bodies like this that's willing to, to strive to see our churches look more like the kingdom of God and less like our own preferential thoughts and ideas of what it should be. It starts with people like us that's willing to come to the understanding that we have the same origin, that we got the same problems of sin, but God was gracious enough to give us the same Savior and bring us into the same household that we might enjoy the same destiny. The same destiny. And that's heaven, baby. Is there anybody in here that wants to go to heaven? I'm not asking you to, to respond out of a sense of guilt or out of a fear of hell because people like that won't be in heaven. Heaven wasn't reserved for people who are fearful of hell. Heaven wasn't reserved for people who, who feel like I'm guilty and I've got to do some good things. Heaven has been reserved for people who love God. Heaven has been reserved for people who love God. I love God. Do you love God? If you don't love God, i got to ask the question, what's wrong with you? That's a rap song or a new song that's out. But today is the day. The Bible says that when you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of the rebellion. When you hear his voice, my question today is, have you heard his voice? Have you heard his voice today? Has it pricked your heart? Today, my band's supposed to be playing. That's the, that's the cue. The band's supposed to be up here and playing. <laughs> but today is the day. Today is our day. Today, over the summertime, we usually have these family reunions. Today is the day we're going to celebrate. Today was a family reunion. Today was a day that we realized that we, or we came into uh, encountered some people that we didn't know were, were our family members. That's an exciting time. I'm your, I'm your family. I'm your family. And folks that we have never even seen, we have a, we got a huge family, guys. But the thing about that is there's so many more 
that are out there, that are a part of our family that don't know it yet. Today's the day. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, awesome, great, let's pray. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day that you can give your life to Christ. Receive him into your life. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Today is the day. Racial reconciliation. Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross has removed the offense and has brought us all together as one family. Regardless of our race, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our culture. Let us have those hard conversations behind closed doors. Those of you who love God. Whether it's dealing with someone who's speaking blatantly or ignorantly. Be a voice, regardless of what color you are. Be a voice. You say, what can I do? Be a voice. Be a voice for the voiceless. Be a voice. But more than that, be disciples of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we glorify you for your word. You are awesome and you are good. You're great. You're constantly worthy to be praised. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending us your son. We thank you for sacrificing your son. While we were yet still enemies and, and at odds with you, you closed that great chasm and allowed us to have peace with you. God, you started us. You are our beginning, our alpha and our omega, our beginning as well as our end. And God, we thank you for bringing us in here this day to this point that we can wrestle with and struggle with issues that are plaguing this world and even our communities. And we're excited about what you're doing, God. And we just pray that you would continue to use us as instruments of righteousness, that indeed we might be used in some significant way to bless the lives of others, of people who don't look like us. Because in the end, your blood, it covered us all. And we are humbled by the fact that you would take such precious blood to cover us. God be glorified. In the glorious name of Jesus we pray. And every believer said amen.